0: To Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and I have not done this intro in a couple months. I'm joined, as always, by co host Joel Wolfon to break down the Damian Liller trade. It finally happened, Wolfon. Dame time's up in Portland.
1: Yeah, how many of these podcasts do you think our listeners have already listened to at this point? Like, <laughs> how are we going to stand out from the thousands of other NBA podcasts that have already somehow convened to break this trade down? Well,
0: you know how well for it, Cause we're going to do it better.
1: I hope so. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess with that in mind, do you feel like you have a take an instinct about this trade that you haven't heard hashed out anywhere else? Like something that is a little bit more off the beaten track. Like where, where are you at with this? Cause I feel like a a lot of it is pretty straightforward. You know what I mean? Like there's not, especially from the buck side, it's kind of like very clean, very obvious. It's like, I don't know. It just seems rather simple to me in terms of like what they're doing, why they had to do this now, why it's going to make sense and probably work really, really well. You know, we can talk about some of the potential downsides, I suppose, but. Is there anything where you're like, oh, that's this is interesting? You know, this is something I haven't seen talked about anywhere else? What I haven't heard...
0: I've heard, obviously, everyone talk about how good they think Milwaukee can be and why this trade makes sense for Milwaukee. But I'll be honest. I haven't heard anyone rave about this Bucks team the way I feel it deserves to be raved about because I now believe... You know, I've talked the last couple of years about the parity in the league and how wide open it is, and this unprecedented run of parity that we haven't seen since the late '70s. And look, for the most part, yeah, it's it's still a pretty open league. There are not two or three teams that are going to run away from the pack. But in saying that, I'll also say if the Bucks stay healthy and hit the ceiling, I see for them, I now think they are far and away the best team in the NBA with a ceiling that no other team can get to, and that's including Denver. You know, you know, we both love it and. and and I think could repeat for sure, but I think if Milwaukee hits the gear that I believe they are capable of hitting and stay healthy, I'm as confident crowning them in late September as as I've been any team in a few years.
1: Ooh, yeah, no, I'm not there. I'm not saying far and away. Like, am I giving them kind of my seal of approval if we're talking championship favorite? Yeah, probably, but... Far and away, better than Denver, far and away, I mean like I don't entirely know how this sort of new look Celtics team is gonna come together, but like i I don't think they're like so far ahead of the pack, and so maybe that can be a good opportunity for us to talk about some of the potential drawbacks here I mean really the all of the drawbacks are at the defensive end of the floor. I think there are zero of drawbacks offensively, none like we talk about. Everything that has plagued this team, especially in the playoffs in years past, what is it? It's half court offense, right? It's off the dribble creation. It's, you know, Chris Middleton has been at points pretty good at being that primary off the bounce creator in the half court, but it's been kind of sporadic and certainly coming off of that knee injury did not look capable of being that guy. I mean, they add maybe the best pick and roll operator in basketball. You know, at worst, like the second best pull up three point shooter ever, one of the and best three level just,
0: scorers of his generation.
1: Yeah, and that's another thing, like I think is really worth thinking about. Here is, uh, I saw a couple other people point this out actually, but like the Bucks were just a terrible ISO scoring team last year, and if you think about getting bogged down in the half court and what that means and what that looks like. If you have a guy who is just capable of scoring one on one in the way that Dame can, which is like huge volume, huge efficiency in a variety of different ways, then that just kind of goes away. And that's without even considering like what his off-ball gravity is going to mean for Giannis, how that's going to open up the middle of the floor for them, like that, what that pick and roll combination could be with. You know, probably the best big man spacer you could ask for playing next to them. And then Middleton being able to slide into like a tertiary scoring role where he's going to be getting all of these like clean spot up looks, being able to attack from the second side against a tilted defense. I mean, it's just like the offense is going to be a bear. But uh, to the point about three level scoring, like Dame takes very, very few mid range shots, right? But he gets to the rim a ton a ton a ton a ton so like you know i pointed this out last year when i wrote about him and when we talked about the insane offensive season that he was having but like i i i compared his driving numbers to zion's and like they're basically like it's they're insane. basically inseparable like they they're almost the exact same like both about 16 drives per game zion scored like a little over 12 points on drives dame was like 11 and a half and they were shooting the same field goal percentage on their drives it's like if you looked at those those two sets of numbers side by side you would be like okay this is basically like the same kind of driver and one of them is zion and one of them is dame yeah who dude. on top of that driving prowess happens to be you know like the, the, be- the most prolific at the very least Pull up three point shooter in the league, like he took more pull up threes than anyone in basketball last year. Hit thirty seven percent of them. We know about his range, and you know those two things aren't mutually exclusive, right? Like the the thread of the three opens up the drives, and the thread of the drive opens up the step back threes. But any way you slice it, the way that he is going to be able to open up the court, especially like inside the arc for Giannis and for the rest of the Bucks, is like almost hard to wrap your head around.
0: This team won a championship with Drew Holiday's wonky shot, you know, at the point. And obviously Drew Holiday brings a lot to the table. Like that's not even to diminish him. It's just to say when they won the championship offensively, you know, they have Drew Holiday and his wonky shot at the point. Middleton who you mentioned, like there were times for sure he looked like, you know, how uh, over the years how many times did I ask is, is Middleton the guy that can really be like a championship level shot creator and You know, they ended up winning the championship, but I'm not even sure how many people would have still come out of the last few years saying, yes, Chris Middleton's a championship level shot creator, and especially at this stage of his career. So I think the way he will slot in now, and you've already kind of talked about it, is perfect for Chris Middleton, especially at this stage of his career. They won 58 games last year with the 15th ranked offense. And I know that's also, you know, in large part because of how good their defense was. And we can talk about some of the problems that they'll have on the defensive end now, but still they won 58 games with literally a middle of the pack offense last year. And now they're adding a guy who averaged 32 points on 65% true shooting. Like just no matter how you slice it, their, their offense can now hit heights that Bucks fans previously could have only dreamed of. And it's so perfect slotting a guy in there that does the things Dame does. That is one of the best closers in basketball history. Like, I think we're both on the same page in that sometimes, like a team's clutch ability can be a little overstated. And and a lot of times, you know, a team winning a lot of close games or losing them sometimes just does come down to luck and the way a ball bounces. But there's also some undeniable players that because of their skill set, and their shot creating and making ability and all that are better suited to have the ball in their hands, in crunch time in those moments than others and Damian Lillard is at the top of that list or close to it like in in our lifetimes so the way he's going to address every single goddamn thing this team needed on the offensive end and the things that quite honestly held them back over the last couple years in their you know quest to win another title I just think it's going to be so seamless on the offensive end so helpful for what they do like Giannis and Dame last year both averaged 30-plus points and 5-plus assists. Only 23 players in the history of the NBA have had a season like that. And the Bucs now have two guys who did it last year. Like, it's it's crazy how good this offense can be, and I'm very excited to watch it. Now, we can get into the defense, if you'd like. Because, yes, obviously, you go from Drew Holiday, you know, as great uh, guard... Perimeter defender, guy who can size up defensive, guard up defensively. Like you go from that to Damian Lillard, one of the worst defensive guards or players in the league, for sure. There are going to be ripple effects. And, you know, Chris Middleton has lost a step on that end, if we're being honest. So their general, like, guard perimeter defense is it's going to be tough to overcome. But if you're going to have to overcome that, what better? combination of bigs would you rather have than friggin' Brooke Lopez and Giannis Antetokounmpo? I just feel like with those two guys, I understand you're now asking them to do a lot more than you should ask them to, but I still feel like with those two guys, at the very worst, you're going to be okay defensively. And if they're okay defensively and as good offensively as I think they can now be, like with that kind of top tier talent they may have in the big two with Middleton and Lopez slotting in as like third and fourth, like... I just think in this league that is so otherwise wide open, that is an overwhelming amount of talent and like upside.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just a different kind of team, right? They're Mm -hmm. going from being this team that was like good enough offensively and elite, elite defensively to being one that's probably going to be elite, elite offensively and hopefully good enough defensively. But like to your point about Drew, especially and his playoff struggles, three post seasons with Milwaukee, True shooting percentage, 48%, 46%, 49%. League average now is like 57, 58. But that's, I mean, for a guard, it's a little bit lower threshold. But like, it's real bad. He, and like, you don't need to hear those numbers to know. Like, if you've watched the Bucks over the last three postseasons, you know that Drew has struggled, you know, especially when it comes to shooting the ball. But also in terms of just like the times when possessions have broken down, he hasn't been the guy who's been able to bail them out of it and go get a bucket. Like his isolation scoring has slumped big time in the playoffs. And I've said, like, I think he is a wonderful guard. And like, in terms of what he can do at both ends of the floor, there are very few players in the league who can do that. But if you're asking him to be like your secondary creator, it's a lot to put on him. And especially, you know, like a couple of years ago, he had to be the primary off the dribble creator because middleton was hurt uh and now it's like i don't know if middleton gets hurt this year like i I still think the bucks could probably win multiple series and maybe even a championship you know like that's that's the level of insurance that they have now in terms of uh, of the shock creation and just the all-around ability especially with like the top four How they fill out, you know, the the lineups around that top four is going to be interesting to me. Right now, it feels like Connaughton is sort of the obvious guy to be the fifth starter, I would think. Um, You know, but maybe there's going to be times that they want to go smaller with Giannis at the five. I think that's maybe going to be pretty precarious, though, given... Like, the defense at the point of attack is not going to be great. Oh, dude, it's going to be terrible. Like, Chris Middleton is not... Like, he's a minus defender, I would say, at this point. Yeah, and. you know, maybe he'll be better this year than he was last year after coming back from, you know, not only off season surgery, but then I don't know if he had surgery again, but he like, like he re-injured his knee and missed like a couple of months yeah. in the middle of the season. So he was just like a non-factor defensively when he came back and having him, <clears throat> you know, and Dame at the point of attack, I think, look, like this is where, this is where it gets concerning for me. Right. Is like, you are relying on, and I know he just had probably his best season, (laughs) like finished runner up in defensive player of the year, but 35 year old Brooke Lopez to cover for a whole lot of flimsiness in front of him. And yes, with the help of, you know, maybe the best roving help defender in basketball or one of in Giannis beside him, like the two of them together can certainly account for a lot, but You know, I think where where it's concerning for me is, okay, yeah, you could say, look, Dame was playing next to like Anthony Simons in Portland in the backcourt. And before that, it was CJ McCollum. And even this version of Chris Middleton is maybe an improvement on those two guys defensively. But I I would say like the Blazers actually did a pretty good job or at least like made a good faith effort to stock the wing with high quality defenders, like a lot of them. Right. They got Covington in there, they got Derek Jones Jr. Jun- uh Derrick Jones Jr. in there, they got Jeremy Grant in there, they got Gary Payton II in there, they got Eibol in there, Winslow, like a lot of guys who they brought in to try and shore up the wing, and it had no impact. And like, man, that those Blazers teams, straight up, better defensively on the wing than this Bucks team is gonna be. So That's where it starts to get concerning to me. Now, the the other way to look at this is, and again, I think we've probably talked about this before, I think a kind of undersold storyline is that those Blazers teams actually pretty consistently defended quite well with Nurkic on the floor. So like last year, they finished 28th in defensive rating, defended at a league average rate with Nurk on the court and that was like his worst defensive season in my mind year before that, I think they finished 29th and they defended at a top 10 rate with Nurkic on the floor year before that. They also finished 29th and they defended at a top five rate with Nurkic on the floor year before that he missed all but eight games. So we don't count that. But then before that they finished 16th and sixth in defense, in defensive efficiency. So like that's the year they made the conference finals. The the year they finished 16th is the year they made the conference final. And like, I I guess my point there is, it's not like Dame on his own is necessarily going to tank your defense. Like if Nurkic, Yusuf Nurkic, who's in his prime, definitely like an above average defensive center, but nowhere in the realm of a Brook Lopez, and that's like without having anybody like Giannis beside him, If he can have that kind of impact where he's raising the floor of their defense to, like, at least league average, then you would think that Brook and Giannis can do the same or better. So that's where I would find some optimism in that, like, yeah, they're they're actually going to be okay defensively. But what I'm really interested to see is... Okay, so we saw... 35-year-old Brooke Lopez have this incredible season as a backline anchor, basically playing the deep drop most of the time. What does that look like when it's Dame Lillard chasing ball handlers over top of screens rather than, you know, Drew Holiday, Javon Carter, Wes Matthews? Like That's that's, (laughs) going to be a different kind of a challenge for Brooke, is what I would say.
0: Yeah, and that was actually that's. I'm glad that you brought that up because that segues us to something I was going to say. I've got two points and then a question for you when it comes to the Bucks' defense. The first point I was going to make is that well, I guess you can fold these two points into one, but is that I wouldn't be surprised if we see Brooke take a step back from last year. One, just because naturally it would be very hard for him to replicate that season at 35. It'd be hard for a lot of people to replicate that at 25, let alone 35. That's one, but also that. It will be hard for him to replicate it at 35 while having to cover for Damian Lillard instead of Drew Holiday. On the flip side, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we see Chris Middleton regain some of the steps he lost over the last couple of years without having to shoulder the offensive burden anymore. Like he's going to save some miles on the offensive end. Hopefully, he comes back healthy after the surgeries. Like I think it's possible. Again, I don't think Chris Middleton's going to be like an impact defender, but. Can he get back to being, like, passable? I think he can with Lillard now in tow. The question I have for you when it comes to their defense, and it's something I, like I've like i talked about it before, I've asked you about it before, I'm pretty confident I know how you're going to answer this, but I'm still curious. Given how different the team dynamic is now on the defensive end with Dame in there instead of Drew, do you think this is the season, not that we see it, like, every game or as a go-to thing or as option one, but do you think we see more of Giannis guarding on the perimeter or guarding the other team's best perimeter player this season because it's a little more necessary now than it really has been in the last few years. Like, I understand that's still not where you want him, but... Uh, If anything, I would say the opposite. Because you needed more
1: cover behind them? Yeah, exactly. And so I think, you know, what we might see is like, hey, maybe Brooks actually playing a little bit higher up. And they're relying on, like, if, if he is playing higher, then you're relying on Giannis to do a lot of the low man stuff where he's having to rotate over, whether it's to tag, to provide that secondary rim protection, to rebound, things like that, where like in the past, especially last year, like the big defensive change they made last year was, okay, not only are we having Brook in a deep drop now, but we're also not having guys come over to tag because what they were doing before when it was like, all hands on deck, protect the rim at all costs. Like the system that Bud installed when he took over, like they weren't just having Brooke in a deep drop. They were also having, you know, low man help sliding over. They were gang rebounding. Like that was sort of the the team-wide mandate was we're protecting the rim at all costs. And they gave up a ton of threes as a result. Last year, they scaled that back where they're like, we're actually just going to let like Brooke and Drew handle these pick and rolls or dribble handoffs two-on-two, two, like to, to whatever extent we can, and we're going to keep everybody else home. And in doing so, they were really able to slash their rate of opponent threes allowed without really compromising their rim-protecting prowess, because Brook was just that good, and, and Drew was just that good. So that is where I think we might see, like, okay, if... They want to carry on. And I don't know what Adrian Griffin's going to want to do. You know, maybe he'll be a little bit more willing than Bud was to concede shots at the rim uh, in the in the interest of continuing to suppress opponent three-point volume. But I, they're not going to be able to do both in the way that they were able to do that last year. So they're going to have to make a choice, I think. And maybe what we see is like, yeah, more help is is pulling in from the corners and the wings to to help Brook because he doesn't have now this like elite chaser at the point of attack and he's going to need a little bit more insulation or maybe they you know continue to see how much he can handle on his own and they're willing to live with you know p- potentially a little bit more damage done at the rim in the interest of you know keeping keeping opponents from bombing away from deep like that's that's where it's going to get interesting is like schematically what does that look like Where do they land? But in terms of like, does this make them more willing to have Giannis like guarding perimeter players one-on-one? I just don't think, especially like at this stage of his career, I just don't think that's where his strengths lie. And I think this iteration of the team, uh, it feels to me like he's actually going to be more necessary on the back line than he was before. You
0: mentioned Adrian Griffin. Uh, I was thinking yesterday, like, I mean, I know he had to wait a long time to get his shot, but still. Ends up pretty good fortune for him, and he's probably cackling to himself thinking about the possibilities. It's actually not very dissimilar to when his former boss, Nick Nurse, f- hmm. got his first crack at an NBA head coaching gig, and then a few weeks later, the Raptors trade for Kawhi Leonard, and we know what happened there. Adrian Griffin now, before he's actually you know coached a game for the Milwaukee Bucks in his first season as a full-time NBA head coach, finds out his team just added Damian Lillard to Giannis and Antetokounmpo. Not a bad way to start your NBA career as a head coach.
1: Yeah, and I think honestly a lot of the time when your team makes a huge structural change like this, there's just a ton to have to figure out. And I, you know, to the, all the points we made about the defensive end, at that end of the floor maybe that's true. But offensively, I think it's going to be pretty seamless. Like I don't think there are going to be too many kinks to iron out. I feel like it will flow pretty naturally because of the very complementary skill sets of all the players involved. Like it's just feels quite intuitive to me offensively to the point that like you could almost roll the ball out there and expect a top five offense I I know it's like you know more complicated than that but like I I just think when you're bringing in a a completely like landscape altering type of player in, in terms of like how that could fit and how seamless it might be and how you know, maybe you don't have to like throw your entire playbook in the trash. I feel like this this fit is like as good as it gets in terms of just being able to like, oh yeah, there's not gonna be a huge adjustment period again, offensively, defensively, <laughs> different story. But I, I mean, whatever. I, like where I land on this is, yeah, you have to make this trade. It's a home run trade for the bucks, puts them squarely in the championship conversation, which they were in already. but like, To me, this nudges them into favorite status. And I'm not there in terms of thinking, you know, way ahead of the rest of the field, like you seem to feel. But uh, I do think this, you know, at the very least, puts them neck and neck with the Nuggets in terms of being the favorites this coming season. And look, you know, I guess I'll, I'll ask you what you think in terms of like the Giannis comments, the part they may have played in this. I mean, two years from now, like maybe he extends in the meantime, right? But let's say he doesn't. He's like, I want to see how this goes, which would be kind of uncharacteristic of Giannis. But like, let's say he waits it out and they don't win a championship. Maybe they get close. You know, maybe they make the finals, but they don't quite get over the hump. And then two years from now, it's like, you know, all the stuff we talked about last episode, we were like, yeah, I think he see the writing on the wall. And two years from now, the supporting cast is going to be really old. They now don't control any of their own picks for the next seven years. Is he going to be looking around two years from now and thinking like all of those same things because Dame's going to be 35 and Brooks going to be 37 and Middleton, what will Middleton be? 34 34, with no real assets to to restock. There is still obviously a downside here, so we can acknowledge that while also saying that this is a trade they had to make and, you know, like a no-brainer home run.
0: Yeah, there's obvious risk for sure they are still in the same situation in terms of like the core is is older their best young player is probably marjan beauchamp they don't control their own first rounder till 2031 they can't trade a first rounder till 2032 the only pick they can trade that 2032 pick isn't even available to be traded until 2025 so yes if Giannis leaves because either this trade didn't pan out or you know, he up and leaves anyway, despite success they have with Dame, then 100% the Bucks are absolutely boned in the second half of this decade and f- potentially for longer after that. And yet this trade was still worth it because to me, if you're going to sacrifice that much of your future or risk that much of your future to make a trade, then it better be a trade that puts you firmly in like, we can win a championship right now, or maybe even we are the favorites to win the championship. And again, to me, this trade did that and then some. So for me, it's a no brainer and you can now look back at it and think that if you go back to 2020, when the bucks originally traded for drew holiday, I believe they've, they ended up trading between that and this, they ended up trading seven or eight first rounders. It was four swaps and three or four first rounders outright, mm-hmm. all unprotected by the way, but yeah. to eventually
1: you know, turn Eric Bledsoe into Damian Lillard. Right.
0: I but or, the way I look at it is they traded control of literally every first-round pick from 2024 through 2030 in order to win a championship and then get Damian Lillard. Yeah, I do that 10 times out of 10 because oh, banners yeah. hang forever. And no team now, in my opinion, has a better chance to hang a banner this year and potentially next year than the Milwaukee Bucks. So is it risky? Yeah. Is it a bit scary when you start to think about, well, what if he's still leaving? Yeah, absolutely. But the run that you should have even in a year or two with Dame and Giannis together is going to be better and have more upside than, like, 95% of the teams in the NBA will experience over the next
1: 10 years. So, it's worth it. You gotta, like, gotta make moves like that if you want to win. Dude, forget 10 years. You could go 100 years as a Bucks franchise and never get a player like Giannis Antetokounmpo on your team again. You probably wouldn't, given how like, good he is. Like, that's... Like, you, you do everything you can to maximize the amount of time that he is on your team. For however long that lasts, you go all out. And I, you know, I'm fully on board with them doing this. And I was when they traded for Holiday as well. So uh, I think this is clearly the right move for them at the right time. And yeah, these <laughs> next couple of years are going to be really fun, really interesting. And that's, yeah, that's all I've got on this from the buck side of things. The last thing I'll say is it's still, again, like it's it's all worth
0: it and everything, but it, it is still going to be really fascinating if Giannis doesn't sign the extension next summer. Because again, this summer it was whatever. It was a three-year extension. We knew he wouldn't sign it even if he wants to stay. Next year, they can give him that four-year max tacked onto what he's already got. That would take him through 2029. That's the one where like, if well, they- he, I mean, he could extend right now though. He, he can extend. He can tack three years on yeah. to the deal. If he extends right now, it's three years, 174 million. Mm-hmm. Um, like he, he can get more money if he extends next year. Like if you if you go from this year through 2029 and you go by what he can extend for now, what he can extend for next year, he can make more money next year. And so if if he's gonna extend early, it would be next year, in my opinion. But if next year he also doesn't sign that extension, that's when You know, just like we were saying a week ago, that's when it gets really fascinating, except doubly so now, because whereas a week ago, I would have said, man, you know, given his comments, given what the future looks like, if he doesn't sign the extension next year and they actually think he might just walk, they actually have to consider potentially trading him. Now you don't even consider, like even if a year from now you think "Ah, he might walk in a year, I still say you don't consider trading because now you've got Dame, now you've legit Got to keep going for it. Anyway, maybe that's a good way for us to segue, since you said you're done with the Bucks, anyway, to the Blazers.
1: Well, before- I, sorry. Last thing that made me think of, though, is like yeah. they're going to be over the second apron, and that is going to yeah. limit their maneuverability in terms of what they can put around those guys. So they are, I mean, I guess in theory, like if like they could trade Middleton, I suppose. But if they're in a position where it's like, oh, we have to trade Middleton, then he's probably had a season that leaves him with not a ton of trade value on the contract he's currently on. So really it's incumbent on the guys that are currently on the roster to hold up, you know, and that's Middleton, that's Brooke. That's like you said, Marjan Beauchamp being ready to take a leap. It's Jay Crowder, you know, I guess rediscovering some of his mojo after he was benched in the playoffs last year. It's Malik Beasley probably being able to hold up defensively in a playoff setting. Like it's a, There's still a a lot of things, I think, that need to go right for them, but they put themselves in in a good position for this next couple of years for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'd say. All right, let's take the break, come back, talk Blazers and Suns. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Scores Fantasy Football podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the SCORE app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out the SCORE's YouTube page for an informative, yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. All right, well, Fawn, before we hit the break, we were talking about those unprotected Bucks picks and Giannis' future, and you know if and when he signs the extension and stuff. And I will tell you that There is no team's fan base that is going to be rooting harder for Giannis to up and leave Milwaukee than the Portland Trail Blazers fans. You know, the Blazers who have have supported Dame all these years and have probably are just fed up with the whole guys got to go to a bigger market thing. You will not find a fan base that is going to be encouraging Giannis to leave for a bigger market or for brighter lights now than the Portland Trail Blazers fans because if Giannis leaves within the next couple years, and if the Bucs end up boned the way we said they could be, if Giannis leaves in the second half of this decade, those 2028, 2029, and 2030 Bucks picks could sustain future iterations of the Blazers. Obviously, a long way off. A lot has to happen before that. But if Giannis stays, you know, even if they run into major cap and tax issues, which they will if he stays and they still have Dame, and it eats away at their team, and maybe they slowly but surely like lose that championship upside over the years. If Giannis re-ups through 2029, 20, even into his mid 30s, you'd figure he at least keeps them competitive enough that the Blazers don't exactly like hit the jackpot in the lottery in any of those years. So obviously very big for Portland, whether Giannis extends or not in the next couple of years. But other than the fact that they are banking on or you know betting on Milwaukee's ineptitude more than a half decade from now. Yeah, and that is the bit. It's it's so hard to judge like what what kind of value they got when you don't really know obviously how that's going to play out. Other than that, in terms of on the actual player side of it, where they get Drew, we can talk about Aiton as well, and obviously then they will try to turn Drew into multiple assets. Are you okay with the deal Portland ultimately got for Dame after all these kind of years of will they won't they, and this summer of will they won't they?
1: I think so. I, I think we'll kind of have to wait and see how the Drew situation plays out and you know we can I guess intuit and say they'll probably pull in a couple of first rounders for Drew right like that seems I would think reasonable so in that event you know it's like they get a couple firsts from that they have the, the unprotected first from Milwaukee the two unprotected swaps and like to your point about okay maybe Giannis is still there and he's keeping the team respectable. I don't know, man. He's going to be 35 in 2029. And obviously at that point, like Dame is either going to be gone or like way over the hill. Same with Brooke, probably same with Middleton. I don't know if 35-year-old Giannis is like on his own keeping a team super respectable. I think there's a very good chance that those Bucks picks and swaps wind up being really fruitful for the Blazers. So in terms of, of pick equity, like when all said and done, when when they turn around and reroute Drew somewhere, I think it's gonna it's gonna look pretty good on the pick equity front. <sighs> Making Aiton the kind of player centerpiece in the deal is interesting to me. I've sort of been on the you know, I think Aiton's actually become a little bit underrated over the last couple years just because of the public flame outs, like the way that that's played out and how it's clearly like he comes out looking really bad in terms of like the breakup with the Suns organization. When in my mind, I think there's sort of equal blame to go around there. Like I think the Sun should share in the blame for that fractured relationship, at least to some extent. He's got a
0: little tin man in him
1: though. I'm not disagreeing. Like, and I think based on all the reporting about what's been going on behind the scenes, that's something that his teammates, his coaches, and probably eventually the front office were really fed up with. But he's very talented. And so, you know, we're like, what, two years removed from him playing a huge role in propelling the Suns to the finals. Having had, you know, this feels like it's way in the rear view now, but having had a series against the Nuggets where he defended Nikola Jokic about as well as we've seen anybody do it over the last half decade. I think it's a decent bet. I don't know if it's the one that I would have made, but also, I don't know, based on the reporting of what was out there in terms of other offers, it seems like it's as good as they could have done. Like, I'd rather be betting on... Well, it seems like they weren't going to keep Hero anyway if that had been the deal that they made. Like, they would have rerouted him. And so from that perspective, I think Holiday has more value as a trade chip to them than Hero would have. And in terms of players that they theoretically might have kept... I don't know. Like, I don't know if they could have done better than Aiden. Because apparently the Raptors wouldn't even put OG Ananobi on the table in a deal, which is a conversation for another day, I think is insane. But we don't have to talk about that on this episode. Even if they um, did, like I, I mentioned it in
0: the piece too, and I know you mentioned it in our conversation yesterday. Like, yeah. even if the Raptors did put OG on the table, I'm sure the Blazers would have done their due diligence and kind of s- pulled the league, right, to figure out or at least try to get an idea of who then ends up with more trade value after acquiring those guys between OG and Drew. And even though you could say, well, it should be OG again, there's a big difference. Like if you're, I think, I think they would have been acquiring OG to keep him right. That's the difference. But the, but also the difference is if like OG is a flight risk and the difference is that like, okay, you acquired Drew with a year left on his contract, but that's much more. So you're acquiring him to flip him, So you don't care that he's expiring with OG you're acquiring him with one year left on his deal to be like the youthful centerpiece of the Dame trade. Like it just doesn't make sense. And then if you do have to flip him, I think it's harder to do so when it's a young guy on an expired, like even if OG was on the table, I think it would have been too complicated in my opinion for the Blazers to make him the center. The same way we're saying Aiton being the young centerpiece is kind of weird. I think it could have been very weird with OG too. With Hero, like you said, I think Drew, Drew just straight up has more trade value. So If you're looking to flip a guy and immediately, like, make this trade package
1: exponentially bigger, Drew, I think, fits in really well. Yeah, so I come away feeling like they did probably about as good as they could have done under the circumstances. And I'm interested to see what it looks like for Aiden because this is a fresh start. It's a much lower stakes environment. It's a situation where he's going to have more of an opportunity to spread his wings offensively, which seems like something that he wants, right? maybe have the ball in his hands more often, get more post touches. And it's like, show us what you can do. Show us that you're worthy of this, right? You don't just want to be like a screen and dive guy who's doing dirty work. You want to be more of like an offensive focal point, an offensive star. Like, yeah, I know there's going to be a lot of attention paid to like Scoot and Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons and like, you know, those guys are going to have a and lot of... Jeremy Grant until they trade him <laughs> and on Jeremy his new
0: Grant. $160 million deal.
1: Yeah, but there's definitely more touches to go around here than there were going to be in Phoenix. And so if, if he's getting a little bit more of like a meteor offensive role, is that then like reinvigorating him defensively? Because we've seen what he's capable of defensively and he's got all the athletic tools. He's got ridiculous size. It could work out really well for Portland. You know, this could be the place where he finally finds himself and blossoms into the kind of player who proves, you know, I don't know if he was ever going to prove worthy of being picked ahead of Luka Doncic, but like he, he proves that, you know, in any other year, maybe it wouldn't have been the craziest thing in the world to take him first overall. So in terms of a guy you could roll the dice on, I I don't hate it, but I also have to see it before, (laughs) before I feel like, oh yeah, this, this was the right guy to sort of uh, make the centerpiece of this deal. But I, I can see a fuzzy outline of how it can work. And in terms of like positional need, it, it makes all the sense in the world because, you know, by all, like for everything I said about how their defense was respectable with Nurkic there over the last few years, I think he is losing a step, even though he's somehow only like 28 or 29 years old. He's 29, like he's, he's only four years older than Aiden. It's crazy. (laughs) It's really crazy. But like in NBA years, I feel like he's older than that. You know what I mean? Like he's an old 29 and he's had a ton, a ton of injuries. And we can talk about this from the Phoenix side, because I think that's a big part of the risk for them. Like he's injured all the time, like seems like a sure bet to miss at least 25 games a season at this point. And in Aiton, they get a guy who's going to be more durable, who's more athletic, who fits their timeline better fits probably like their style of play better or like the the style of play that they're going to want to to carry forward better like I, I, all of it is just sensible. You know, I it doesn't read like wow, home run, absolute no-brainer. It's just sensible. So, I'll I'll stick with that. It's like a solid B.
0: I look at it as like this trade and how we view it from Portland's perspective, given you know the guy they gave up, will be viewed years from now based on what they ended up turning Holiday into, and obviously by those Bucks picks years down the road. And that says something about Aiton. Honestly, that I'm saying that instead of saying based on like what Aiton will turn into, because I'm I think his numbers will go up. Maybe you know he'll look maybe more the part of a something closer to like I don't know like a number two option or something on offense. But for the most part. I'm not exactly expecting some like DeAndre Ayton breakout. And so, I don't know, like I'm not down on the Blazers return. I guess I'm just not impressed. I'm kind of like lukewarm on it. And again, it you know, we'll see what happens with the Drew trade. And I guess if we're still doing this six years from now, we'll see what happens with those box picks. But for now, I'm just kind of like, all right, I, I you know, I think you did what you had to do. It's not a bad return. Yeah. Underwhelm me a little bit. Let's see what happens.
1: I was like, if you compare it to, and like, the reason for this obviously is like Kevin Durant is much better than Damian Lillard. Yeah. But if you compare it to the KD return that Brooklyn got, yeah, it looks super underwhelming. But I will say, it's easier to say that in hindsight after we saw what Mikael Bridges did after he went to to Brooklyn. So maybe we'll be saying the same thing after DeAndre Ayton starts next season on an absolute tear. You know, like we we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know how that. Part of the trade is gonna work out, but you know, two or three years from now when it's looking like the Bucks are gonna be on the downslope, or maybe Giannis is looking for an exit route, and DeAndre Ayton looks like a, you know, a foundational piece at the five spot in Portland, then maybe we're saying, actually, the Blazers made up like gangbusters here. And that's a very plausible scenario in my mind. So while I'm not feeling bowled over right now, I do think it's possible that. A couple years from now, we'll be looking back and saying, actually, they did a whole lot better than we thought they did.
0: I know we're not going to do our bold predictions episode for another week or two, but my bold prediction is that DeAndre Ayton is going to be publicly miffed about why he wasn't an all-star this year, because he's going to average like 19 and nine for a Blazers team that's like 24 games under 500 by the all-star break. And and Ayton's going to wonder why he didn't get the vote. That's my bold prediction. I I think
1: he's... Over 20 points a game, almost certainly. Like, yeah. he averaged 18 last year in Phoenix. And I know he, a lot of that season was played before Kevin Durant got there, and, like, they had a lot of injuries, so he was having to take on a, a heavier load. But I think he was going to average, like, 20 and 10. I agree. I, even I think like, he will
0: average more points than these Blazers have wins.
1: <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> uh, All right, so Phoenix side of this? Yeah,
0: I mean... Like this is a team that, I guess, needed to to get creative in order to put the right pieces around their big three, find some depth. I guess they did that. You know, they get Nurkic, who obviously defensively complements them a little better. But I'm pretty, if I'm them, I'm pretty worried about the fact that okay, sure, like he he also helps them from a tax perspective because he's going to make forty eight million dollars less than eight over the next three years, but. You mentioned those injuries. We both mentioned how he's lost. He's not quite what he was defensively. It's like, in theory, if you think about this going like absolutely swimmingly, you're like, yeah, Nurkic makes more sense for them than Aiton defensively can shore shore some things up. The flip side of that, and perhaps the more likely side is like, he's playing half your games. Mm -hmm. He's not what you think or hope he is defensively. And you didn't really actually solve anything by finally trading Aiton.
1: I think what really worries me is let's say he does miss a ton of time. Who's your backup center option? Like what like is it you know Chemetzi Metu? Like is he now your starting center? He's undersized at the center spot as it is. Like I don't think you like you know bowl bowl like uh, they don't have a backup center. Now. So, I don't know man, that's it feels like a big risk to me. And I understand, like, they had to move Aiden. Like, clearly the relationship was beyond repair. And I, you know, if Nurkic is on the floor, I can see the reasons why it makes sense, right? I think he's lower maintenance. He's going to do a lot more of the dirty work. And, like, the thing that I mentioned in the piece that we wrote is rebounding, 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 right? Like, huge issue this team had last year, especially after making the KD trade, was they were not a good defensive rebounding team. I think that really got exposed in the playoffs, especially against Denver. And Nurkic isn't a guy who like inhales a ton of rebounds on his own. Like if you look at his individual rebounding numbers compared to Aiton's, they're similar. But as a team rebounder, it's not close. Like Nurkic is consistently one of the best team rebounders in the league. Just an absolute cinder block of a box out guy. And we'll do that dirty work. We'll like box out multiple players at once and sacrifice like his own rebounding numbers for the sake of getting a team rebound which is just like not something that we've seen DeAndre Ayton do in the past like consistently with Nurkic on the floor you can look at these numbers right like the Blazers have been in like the 98th percentile of defensive rebound rates and it plummets with him off the floor meanwhile Aiton's like in terms of the the team rebounding numbers with him on the floor, they're consistently below average last year. Somehow the Suns rebounding woes were even worse when Aiton was on the floor than when he was on the bench. That's the one thing I can point to and be like, yeah, this is going to improve and that could make a big difference for them. There's that. There's the fact that I think he is a considerably considerably better short roll passer than Aiton, which is something you're going to need because those ball handlers are going to be getting blitzed a lot. And... Maybe that alone is enough, right? Just like having a guy who's going to be lower maintenance, who isn't going to clamor for post touches, who's going to, without complaint, just screen and screen and screen and roll and roll and roll. And that's all you need him to do while he's like giving you max effort at the defensive end and on the glass. Okay. Makes sense. Like he's got to stay healthy. And I think, you know, again, I mentioned this in the piece, but like Nurkic is one of the worst big man finishers in basketball. He just is. And so maybe you think that doesn't matter that much because you have so much perimeter scoring talent that you don't need your big man to be an elite finisher. But again, if your ball handlers are getting blitzed, which surely they will, and like yes, his his short roll passing can mitigate this a little bit, but like you're also going to need him to finish. And as frustrating as it's been over the years watching Aiton shy away from contact and you know shoot those post turnarounds or like the short roll jumpers instead of powering up. You know, to the rim, going up strong, embracing contact, going through smaller defenders, all the things we've wanted him to do that he didn't do, hasn't done. That's frustrating, but it might be even more frustrating watching Nurkic try to do those things and fail at them, which is what he's done for his entire career. So that's, I, I, I don't know. It comes out feeling like if Nurk can play like 70 games, I feel like that's maybe something close to a wash, but If not, I don't know. And then, like, that's without even thinking about... You know, if you're talking about roll gravity, it's not comparable, right? Like, you Nurkic doesn't have any. He's not a vertical threat in the least. And I just wonder if the way that defenses react to that, like, maybe they play him for the short roll pass and challenge him to kind of try and finish at the rim, right? And then it becomes more of an issue than it seems like it's going to be.
0: Nurkic hasn't played 70 games in a season in five years.
1: Yeah, since he, he, since he, like, Snapped his leg, right? Yeah. Like in the, the last yeah. week of that 2017, yeah. or was it the 2018 19 season? I think. Yeah, the 2018 19 season. That was his second
0: straight season of playing 70 plus games. But even his, uh, the first three years of his career, 62 games, 32, 65. Then he's got yeah. the two where he stayed healthy until he disgustingly, you know, hurt himself. And then since then, you know, eight games, 37 games, 56, 52. Like, you said seventy.
1: I think they should be thrilled if they get sixty out of them. Yeah. I was being like optimistic as a way to be like, if he can get to seventy, then I can see this as a one to one swap being close right. to a wash. I do think, you know, like the he's a bone crunching screensetter. Aiton was not that like there are just maybe it's just that what Aiton brought, like the skills that, that he brought to the table were not as important to the Suns as what Nurkic could con- conceivably bring you know, and that, that's all that matters. And, and if we're talking about like, did they get good value for Aiton? Again, it's like, I don't know how much value Aiton actually had on his rookie max extension. Like, I think, again, this is probably as good as they could have done. So the point that I'm building to is like, even if that proves to be a downgrade at the center spot, I think the bigger selling point for Phoenix here was probably just getting the infusion of depth that this trade provided them with, where they're able to break up Ayton's salary into like three players. They get Nurkic, who, if he is a downgrade, I don't think it's such a significant downgrade because of the the things that he brings that they needed. But then they also get Grayson Allen, who's like, you know, if you think about what Landry Shamit was for them last season... Grayson Allen's kind of like a supercharged Landry Shaman. Like, better movement shooter, better defender, better chance that he's going to be able to hold up and make an impact in a playoff series, in my mind. And they're just sick with shooting already. So, like, really nice get. And Nas Little, who's, like, another candidate probably to be there, the fifth starter guy because he can really defend on the wing and shot 37% from three last year and has, like, a little bit of a kind of like a you know, close out attacking pump and go game where he's not hes not just a spot up shooter. He can maybe give you a little bit more and that's all you really need from somebody on the wing who's, you know, able to to insulate you defensively. I think adding that depth is going to be really crucial for a team that very badly needed it. And I think that's what pushes this deal into kind of big win territory for Phoenix or maybe not big win, but win territory.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if
1: I can get there. I just, I'm with you on you think it's an L. Or it's a, it's a, we'll see, or it's a tie.
0: Yeah. And again, I just feel like, even though I get what you're saying in that, like, you know, you can't really harp too much on the eight and value thing, because this probably was just what his value was. It still feels very underwhelming that in the end, after all this,
1: that is what his
0: value was. And like, you finally trade eight and, and it's for a deal that I'm not even convinced is a win. You know, again, if. Miraculously, Nurkic can stay healthy. Than it probably is, but it's just asking a lot, I think. And yeah, they added depth, but I don't, I don't think it's like home run depth, where it's like, all right, this team is now significantly deeper. They've addressed some of those concerns. It's, it's
1: still very flimsy to me. Okay, so wh- which aspect of it is flimsy to you? Like, the wh- where are you looking at this team to be like, ooh, that's that feels like an issue
0: that's really gonna bite them? I don't think they have the depth, and I definitely don't think they're gonna be good enough defensively. Again, if you just look at this, we're like, well, they turned one guy really into three and they turned eight into Nurkic. That you could say, well, they did actually address that. They got deeper and they should get better defensively. But I don't know, man. Like, I like Nasir Little. Are we yeah. convinced that Nasir Little is going to be like a
1: big minute playoff guy? No, definitely not convinced. Uh, here's <laughs> what I'll say. Like, they're they're sort of fake deep. and exactly. You can look up and down their roster and be like, hey, there are like 14 guys here who feel like NBA rotation players to me. But also, you know, nine of those guys are like fringy and might wind up being totally useless to you. You know, so it's like really what you're banking on is like three or four of those guys to hit and to stick to the point that you can cobble together a very strong eight-man playoff rotation. Where it's like you obviously have the the four in uh Booker, Beal, KD, Nurkic, and then choose from a buffet of options, right? Eric Gordon, Nas Little, Bates, Diop, uh, Utah Watanabe, you know, Damian Lee, Grayson Allen, uh, Drew Eubanks, Jordan Goodwin, Ish Wainwright, Bull Bowl, like all of these guys can play, but you know, can they play when it matters most? That's going to be the question that we're going to have to find out. But I think I like what the Suns have done in terms of just like giving themselves as many options to choose from as possible Fair. in the hopes that like three of them wind up sticking. And maybe it won't happen and this team will come up short of expectations because of that lack of depth or the lack of like defensive acumen. But I think they've done like after making the Beale trade did you see them being able to sort of like fill out their depth no. to the extent that they have even? Like, I think no. they did the best they could. I agree, even in free agency and
0: stuff. So that part, yeah, I agree. But it is fake depth. And if, if a few of these guys do hit, which is very possible, then obviously a very different conversation we're having in a, in a few months. But I'm definitely in more like prove it before I believe it territory when, when it comes to what the Suns have done.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, but to your point about Yeah, it just feels like even if this was the best they could have done for Aiton, it still feels like a loss because how did you let it get to a point where that's all you could have gotten for him? I'm with that. And that's why I'm saying like, I think at least in part that the franchise has to bear some brunt of the blame for that relationship going so sour that they had to do this, you know, couldn't even go into the season with him on the roster and hope to like maybe rebuild his value a bit. It was just like time to move, had to do it for whatever they could get. That's partly on them. And it's partly on Aiden. And at, at that point, you just kind of have to throw up your hands and be like, yeah, it sucks that this happened and that our, you know, number one overall pick five years ago has been devalued to this point. But, hey, that is what it is. And what are we going to do? Just, like, sit on our hands because we're really sad that it came to this? Or we have to move because KD is 35 years old and the clock is ticking and we got to win right now. Yep. I think, you know... It's like the sunk cost fallacy, you know, like they just had to, they had to do what they had to do. And I think under the circumstances, you know, again, probably a slight W in my mind, but a W nonetheless.
0: Yeah. Over under 1.5 years until the Blazers want to get DeAndre Ayton the hell away from their youngsters. I'm going under. Um, (laughs) All right. Uh, You think we're done here? Do you have any thoughts on Miami being boned or what?
1: No, I mean, like, I think we talked about it from the moment that dame's trade request was made public and that it became clear that miami was the one destination that he was going to tolerate we said any other team call his bluff he's not going to not play miami does not have the package to get this done and so like even like subsequently when we talked about the lingering trade request and how this was going to resolve itself I don't even think we talked about Miami because I don't think either of us saw that as a, a viable trade partner because they didn't have the pieces. So I, I don't think... Like, I don't think they screwed this up.
0: No, no. I, you know I don't I think mean? they like, screwed it up. I'm just saying in general, do you think they're bone? They lost Vincent and Struce. They, you know, Jimmy's a year older. They, again, as much as you know me and my description to heat culture, but... Mm-hmm. As much as I believe in them in a tight game in the playoffs when the chips are down, this was a play in team. This was a seven eight seed
1: last year that I think got worse. Not I think they got worse. Well, that's you, that's one way to say it is. This is a play in team that got worse. You could also say this is a, <laughs> a the team, team that won the Eastern Conference.
0: All right, let's find let's find some middle ground. There's something between that. They're better than what they were, and they probably you know expecting that to happen again. Getting even to the East Finals for say a fourth time in five years. Yeah, going to be tough. He's got better.
1: Oh, there's no doubt it's going to be tough. I just, I would love to say, yeah, they're boned. It's over. But I've just been bitten too many times by writing this team off, by writing off Butler, Spolstra, Pat Riley. I don't know if they have another rabbit in the hat. Like maybe Drew Holiday is the pivot, right? I think that would make a lot of sense for them. Would it not? Like, I mean, it, it would. You
0: get, you know, a little bit of a more traditional point guard in there. But I don't know. Like, they could probably use some shooting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you bring in Drew. Now, yeah. if you bring in Drew, are
1: you, are you having, like, Hero out? Or are you? Well, I think if I was them, I would probably try and do, you know, like, the two firsts that they're able to trade. Yeah. And Lowry's contract is yeah. ballast. Right. And you keep a, Hero. Even if, and then I think you're in good shape. Are
0: you though? Like you have, you then you have Drew, Jimmy, Bam. You have three non shooters.
1: Drew's not a non shooter. Okay, we talked about his playoff struggles. Yeah, but like I don't think it's accurate to call him a non shooter. Yeah, I think like, in the regular season last year he had his best shooting season ever. But thirty eight percent on six threes per game. The year okay. before that he was at forty one percent On five threes per game. The year before that, thirty nine percent five threes per game. Like,
0: and yet, as we, as you, as you mentioned, just wretched shooting numbers in the playoffs
1: every damn year. Yeah, but I think that is also a function of like the offensive environment and what he was being asked to do. And Miami's offense, you know, not just in terms of like having Butler there to handle most of the creation load, but also just the way that that offense functions. It's. it's never really on one guy. It's more equal opportunity. It's more about the system than it is about individual players. And I think in that way, he might be better positioned to like not stink it up as a shooter in the playoffs. That's my feeling. And I think, you know, he would he would have to do probably a little bit more off-ball stuff than we're used to seeing him do. Um, like he's not, he hasn't been like a huge like dribble handoff guy really especially not when it comes to like shooting off of dribble handoffs if you're talking like like curling off of handoffs or curling off of pin downs going to the basket stuff like that I think I mean like this is still he's not just a guy who scores by shooting the ball right like he's a really strong driver capable of being a good cutter like I think I think he can make a lot of sense in that offensive system it's maybe a little bit redundant with Jimmy like he's almost a bit of a Jimmy light offensively. They create advantages, I think in a lot of the same ways, but I don't know, just because there's some overlap doesn't mean he wouldn't be additive. And especially in terms of how he would fit with their defense, which is, you know, already a bear, especially in the playoffs. Um, I don't know. I'm, are you seeing a potential pivot that would be more profitable than that for them? Like, I think if they're looking at how do we pick up the pieces from here, that, that feels like the move to me.
0: Yeah, it probably does. I'm just not sure. I mean, I'm not, Breaking news here by saying that it doesn't address their needs the way Damian Lillard would have. But
1: yeah, I don't know. This but might like maybe we this... said they were they they just never felt like a serious contender for yep. Lillard, even though he insisted on. Yeah. this is where you're going to trade me. I don't know. Maybe this is so. Maybe if they this... if they didn't have the pieces to get Lillard, how are they going to have the pieces to get anybody else who can replicate Lillard's yeah. impact?
0: No, this might be the year that we uh, we reverse course, and it's you that has to talk me into believing in this version
1: of the Heat. Well, I don't believe in them as a team that's going to win the East again. But I also don't know that they're just going to like completely fall off. No, game. no. Listen, I don't think they're loo- like going to lose
0: 45 games or something. But I don't think they'll win maybe m- much.
1: I mean, they'll probably be in the low 40s, man. Like they were last year. Maybe even like the, they might be like uh, they could very well be in the low 40s. And they're going to be in a playoff series. And I'm going to just not I'm just not going to be sure. I'm going to be like, I, I, are they going to go absolutely haywire again. Cause they just seem to do that in the playoffs and yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not going to write them off, but I do think, uh, I do think there needs to be some kind of pivot. Like mm-hmm. they got to figure out what their next move is because they, whether they were banking on this or like put their eggs in this basket, I like, you know, the, the maneuverability I guess is still there to the extent that there is any, like they have hero as a trade piece, although no one seems to want him. Like, they have those far out picks that other teams could see as being really valuable because of Jimmy's age. I don't know. Like it's sort of, it's not on the same level of Giannis, but it's also like Jimmy Butler's a special player and he's in his mid thirties, you know? So you got to do everything you can to be as good as you possibly can be right now. Yep.
0: All right. I think we're just about tapped out of this topic. Yeah. All right. Let's get the hell out of here. We, we got a couple uh, fan shout outs bank, but let's save them for, uh, this let's consider this like a special trade episode and uh, and we'll save those fan shoutouts for uh more regular episodes sounds good all right let's get out of here we'll be back next week with what we are expecting to be our preview type content uh kicking off unless another trade i don't know maybe James Harden gets traded between now and
1: then and that ends up the the episode dude instead, we're not but- listen let's 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 make a deal we're not doing an emergency podcast episode for a James Harden trade all right i just I'm sorry, I don't think he's that guy anymore. This is like, you know, once you sink below a certain threshold, it's it's like the blockbuster trade threshold where like at this point, if Harden gets traded, it's fine. Whenever we're slated to record next, we can talk (laughs) about it for like 10 or 15 minutes. We're not doing a whole episode to break down a James Harden trade, okay? Agreed? Well, we'll be back next week then. But do do you feel otherwise? You you think he's still in that emergency podcast
0: tier? No, I think it depends on what the like who where he goes, what the trade looks like. I wouldn't say he's in the sixty minute emergency podcast tier. Maybe in like the yeah. twenty five minute.
1: Hey, maybe that maybe that's the pivot for Miami. He's, I mean, like I it it would be a an interesting cultural uh, yeah. Fit. Not you sure know, how
0: James is gonna work with James Eric Harden Ultra and Jimmy Butler, culture. Pat Riley, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's gonna work.
1: I would like to see it though. So would
0: I actually. Glad you brought that up.
1: All right. If James Harden gets traded to the Heat, we'll do an emergency podcast episode. Deal. Okay. All right. Otherwise,
0: we'll talk some preview content next week. For Joe Wolf on, I'm Joseph Casaro. Pound the Rock.